0: Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible and open to. Well, where are we going today? Let's see. I want you to turn to Psalm 51. We're going to get there in a minute. We're gonna work up to Psalm chapter 51. We've been answering this question this month, this Advent season, why did Christ come? So this is part four. And in light of today being Christmas Eve, I just I want you to hear again the angels' announcement Out of Luke chapter 2, and like I said, we will work on our journey towards Psalm 51. The angel said to them, this is the shepherds on the hillside, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to focus our attention this morning on this great joy. What is the angel talking about? What is he referring to? So as we discuss this great joy and look into God's word to see what he has to say about this great joy, we're going to walk on a journey, the journey from guilt to joy. Where the final answer to our question, why did Christ come, He came to restore the joy of salvation. So before we turn and read from the word of God in a full on entrance into the word, we're going to pray to the God of the word. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you with our Bibles open, desiring to hear from you on this special morning. Father, it is no more special than yesterday morning for this day as yesterday, your mercies were new. And we are grateful that those mercies are new today. Lord, if we've ever needed you, we need you now. We need you on this day, in this moment. There are so many competing voices, trying circumstances, tests, trials that attempt to pull our joy away or defeat that joy that is produced in those who call on Jesus by the Spirit. Yet, this joy that we have, we know full well the world cannot. Take it away. As fathers, I often pray what we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, provide for us. And what we are not yet, make us for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, there is great news of great joy found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Hang on, we'll get to Psalm 51 in a minute, but here's what Isaiah chapter one, verse 18 says. God says through his prophet, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I love that verse because it speaks of how God takes our sin, our hearts that are double-dipped in sin, scarlet, and crimson, completely wiping them out in Christ Jesus. So to help us apply this theme of Advent today, the Advent joy of theme, uh, theme of joy, we're gonna understand why we are to be joyful in the first place. What is it that brings joy in our life? It has everything to do with what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Though your sk- sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. To show why we rejoice, I want to take you now to Psalm 51. We're going to go back to a time in David's life, King David at this point, when the circumstances of his life were going so well. I mean, he's like midlife, everything's going well. He hasn't quite hit that midlife crisis moment. His kingdom has expanded. His military is successful. The kingdom treasury is growing. And at this point in his life, he didn't think, He needed to be where he was supposed to be. It was the springtime. It was a time when the kings would go off to war. But he stayed home in Jerusalem. And so in our time this morning, we're going to see, through David, how our heart gets in crisis, and then, through David, how we cry for help, how the Lord cleanses our heart, and then how the Lord will create a new heart, which leads us then to rejoicing, It was that time of year, like I said, when kings go off to war. You can find this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in the comfort of of his palace, and it was one of those lovely evenings. I suspect when that cool front comes through this afternoon or this evening, it's going to be one of those kind of lovely evenings that we have here in Rockport where the humidity says, adios, muchachos, and we get to relax a little bit, right? It was a lovely evening in Jerusalem, and he finds himself on the rooftop of the palace overlooking the city and the kingdom, and he looks down and he sees a woman, a woman bathing Her name was Bathsheba, and in his heart grew the seed of lust, and that lust gave birth to an all-out adulterous affair. As he inquired of the woman, who she was and where she stayed, even though he learned that she was married to Uriah, one of his military leaders, he called for her. Then she finds out she's pregnant. David, in his supposed wisdom, chasing the foolishness of his heart, appearing that she was pregnant, called for Uriah to come home from the battlefield. You see, David was supposed to be at war with his men, and he wasn't. He had Uriah come home, and he came home, and his plan was to encourage Uriah to go home and enjoy home life and to be with his wife. Even got him drunk, hoping that he would return home and sleep with her. But he didn't. You see, Uriah had more character than that. He had more noble character than than David. He went and stayed with the servants and didn't go to the comfort of his home. Why should I go to the comforts of my home when my men are on the battlefield? And so then David, still chasing the foolishness of his own wisdom, sent orders to have Uriah sent to the front line, And told his commanding general, when you see Uriah in the front line, order for the troops to come back, but don't tell Uriah. Don't tell him that that's going to happen. And so David's general pulls that off, and Uriah is killed in battle. And Bathsheba now becomes David's wife. Not only did he have an adulterous affair, but now he's a murderer. We jump to 2 Samuel chapter 12 where we find not only his heart in crisis, but if we think long and hard enough, we'll see that our heart is also in crisis. Here's how Nathan, the prophet Nathan, sent by God to tell David of this moment and what had happened in David's life. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan. As the Lord lives. The man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. David said to Nathan said to David. You are. The man. You are. The man. David now realized that being the man wasn't all that was cracked up to be. His heart suddenly is in a real place of crisis. He had, he had been drifting there. You don't do what David did just suddenly, it's a slow fade, it's a slow drift. But it continues until something changes, until something happens to where our hearts are stirred and our, our, our lives are captured by our sin. His heart is in real, real trouble. How would David respond is the question. Because when people hear about sin, there are a couple of responses that come. One, they refuse to hear it, call you a hypocrite, and, and they refuse to accept the truth. Yes, yes. We can be hypocritical. We are hypocritical quite often. I don't see anywhere in scripture where anyone is exempt from that. We are all that way at some point. But people will refuse to hear it and and refuse to accept the truth and they'll turn and walk away. Two, some folks will believe it and then they'll try to be a better person. I'll clean up myself and do better next time. Or three, There's brokenness when you find out you're the man. You're the man in the story. There's brokenness that leads to repentance. And so with David's heart in trouble, he'd given his love and affection over to to lust, the lust of a woman who was married to another man. Nathan then exposed his heart. The guilt is setting in. David is finally realizing who he is and what he has done. God used Nathan To share this story with David. To say, David, wake up. You are the man. Unless we sit back this morning and think, whew, I'm glad I'm not like David. Let me give you a little Charles Spurgeon for your Christmas Eve morning in a sermon that he preached on this. He says, and the warning of others is that they may reflect that the like licentiousness in themselves at this day might have even a graver guilt in it than in the erring king of Israel. Be careful. Be careful. You say, wow, what a Christmas message. Well, I've been saying that all month long. If you expected something different. We're getting to the good stuff, okay? Just be patient. There is joy in this message, I promise. It's coming, right? It's coming. But how will you respond this morning when the scriptures say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how will you respond? For David, when he heard the news and the guilt began to set in, something changed in his heart. How do you respond to the guilt that accompanies the sin? Do you sense that guilt? Do you sense the weight of your sin? And I wonder, have you felt that? I have. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's a couple of days. Sometimes it's months until someone like Nathan comes along and says, dude, you're the man. There is only one correct response. There is only one biblical response. And that is repentance. The Bible repeatedly calls us to repent, which means that our heart is broken. We have a heartfelt sorrow for that sin, and it's coupled with a renouncing of that sin. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry, but it's saying, God, I am sorry my heart is broken, but I broke your heart over this, and I'm walking away. I'm turning away from it, and I'm turning to Christ. That's what repentance looks like, and there's a commitment to forsake it and walk away and walk in obedience to Jesus. So let's look at what David did. Because David wrote a song about this moment, this life-changing encounter with Nathan. He wrote a song for the generations, and that's where we find Psalm 51. And that there are times when our heart, too, is in crisis, and the only thing we can do and must do is to cry out for help. Psalm 51. The hearts cry for help. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We don't always get, when you read the Psalms, you don't always get a description of what the Psalm and why it was written, but we know specifically Psalm 51 was written by David for this moment in his life. And when he comes to the Lord, notice in verse one, he doesn't pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? Acknowledge God. He goes straight to the mercy of God. There is something to that. When you hear the words of the prophet Nathan saying, you are the man that we have to appeal. Our heart's cry is straight to the mercy of God. Spurgeon said this, he said, the sight of mercy is good for the eyes that are sore with penitential weeping. For the heart that is broken and the eyes that shed tears over sin, God's mercy is sweet. It's just like Revelation says that his... He will wipe away every tear. It's kind of what his mercy does for us in a roundabout way. Mercy is the only way any of us can come to the Lord. Why would we appeal to his justice? (laughs) If you appeal to his justice, you're doomed because you're not gonna be able to justify your sin. We don't appeal to his wisdom, though it is glorious and we should stand in awe of it. We appeal to his unfailing and abundant mercy, his loving kindness, Lord, reveal your gentle attributes. Not just in the essence of it, but Lord, reveal it in the abundance of it. Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your abundant mercy... Friends, his mercy is always at work and his mercy never fails. He then asks the Lord to blot out his transgressions, his iniquity, and his sin. He uses three different words there for sin. We understand one is transgression. Transgression is crossing of a forbidden boundary. David did that when he lusted in his heart for Bathsheba inquired of her and had an affair with her. He crossed that line. It is an outright serious rebellion. The second word he uses is iniquity. Iniquity is, is a perversion, perverting God's created order. It also goes back to our original status or what we call original sin. And then he says, the third word he uses is sin, which is simply falling short, missing the mark. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's the same word. We fall short. We miss God's intended target. And so when David hears the words from Nathan, realizing that the Lord sent him to call him out on his sin, David, you are the man. David's cut to the heart. It's like he woke up from this present darkness that he was living in, not even aware of what was happening, surrounded and clouded his view, his sin did, and the dawn of a new day begins breaking through in David when he calls out to the Lord and his mercy. All we have at the end of the day is to appeal to the mercy of God. All we have at the end of our sin is an appeal and a confession Notice what he says in verse three. He says, I am aware of my sin. It is always before me. The real problem comes when we don't confess our sin because we think we're not sinners. Because we think that what we're doing isn't sin. Or that God won't care. He'll look past it. Or we don't even think about our sin to begin with. If I don't think about it, I can ignore it. If I ignore it, then it won't bother me, which leads me through this thought process as recorded by a song in the 1980s do, 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 do. don't worry why are you shaking your head at me honey <laughs> don't worry be happy right don't worry about it just just enjoy the happiness But if your sin isn't dealt with, happiness is gonna be fleeting. It is always fleeting. It's not gonna last because happiness is based on what happens, which means it's circumstantial. Circumstances change throughout life. But look what David says. He says this, I know that it is sin. Against you I have sinned, and I've done what is evil in your sight. God, you are just in your judgments. You are blameless. God, you are right. Listen, God's gonna judge someday. The world is going to end, and he's sitting on his judgment throne, and every judgment that he makes is right. He will not make a mistake. Verse 5, David says, my sin comes from my sin nature. He's fully owning what he has done. I was brought forth in iniquity. There is original sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's passed down through the generations. David's not passing this off anymore. You know what your kids do when they get in trouble. It's not me, it was him. They lay blame at somebody else. Why was she taking a bath that night? Come on, it's not my fault. He didn't do that. It's my sin. In verse six, he says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God desires purity of heart. When God desires purity of heart, it means that he's working in us and it's going to bring about the right conduct. Friends, when we look at David in this moment, David has two needs. He needs pardon for his sin and he needs the purity of heart. When the sin is pardoned, the purity of heart begins to work. You and I need both of these two. We need to be pardoned of our sin and we need to be pure in our heart. And David is the prime example of what the Lord is saying in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, which is written much later than David's time. Let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Our sins are like scarlet and red like crimson, which means that language, there, double dipped and impossible to get clean on our own. There is no chemical that will get it out, and that is exactly why David appealed to God's mercy. Look what he says at the beginning of these verses. He says, "Blot out, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, wash me." And the next step—that's it—in the next step in the joy to journey, uh, the journey to joy, that God's promise in Isaiah: Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What is impossible for man to clean and purify and purge is totally possible with God. The cleansing of the heart is what David comes to, and that's his next appeal. In verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me. Empty me. It literally means descend me. Take it away. God, sprinkle the atoning blood upon me. That's why he mentions hyssop. That's what the high priest did. Hyssop was a small plant that they used kind of like a brush. It was used in the Exodus when, when uh, Moses had told uh, the Israelites... The Hebrews that, hey, listen, you've got to sacrifice the lamb and take that blood and paint it on the doorpost of your home and God will pass over your home when he sees the blood on the doorpost. The blood brings the Passover. The high priest, year after year in the day of atonement, would do the same thing. He'd take that hyssop, he'd dip it in blood and he'd sprinkle it for the day of atonement to make atonement for the sins of Israel. First himself and then for Israel. And that's what David is referencing here. Sprinkle that atoning blood Upon me. Friends, that is because nothing but the blood can take away sin. David didn't want an ounce of his sin to remain. David is requesting that it be completely removed. And the only thing to be done with guilt is to have it completely washed away. How is that possible? Well, if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, you'll hear this. Verse 19, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Now he's talking about the high priest there. And here's what the high priest would say. This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no blood. Forgiveness of sins. So when David is asking God to purge me, purify me, cleanse me, wash me, he's asking God to cleanse him by the blood. Lord, forgive me. Regard me as cleansed on the the basis of the innocent victim that has died. And nothing is different today for you and me other than now we know that it is Jesus the lamb who was slain upon the cross once and for all. This is why Jesus came. In verses eight and 10, more on that in a minute. In verses eight and 10, David prayed and he asked God to create a clean heart in him. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Here's verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We look at the creation of the heart, the new creation of the heart. David not only asked to be cleaned up on the outside, but David asked for a new heart. That's why the response of I'll go clean myself up, I'll do better next time doesn't work because it doesn't take care of the problem. Sure, it takes care of the outside, but it doesn't take care of our number one problem, which is the problem of the heart. Not clean up my heart, Lord, but create a new heart. This word for create is quite interesting and quite powerful. It has a deep history in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, it is the word where God creates everything out of nothing. You and I can create a lot of things. Some of you are engineers and you create all kinds of cool uh, tinker toys that can lift all kinds of weight and amazing things. But to create something out of nothing... Only God can do that. Even the new heart for the repentant sinner. And so when David, what he is asking for here, David Kidner pointed out, is nothing less than a miracle. What David is asking for in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, is nothing less than a miracle that only God can provide. Only God can do that. Jeremiah 24 verse seven says this, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. They shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This was totally part of God's plan for humanity. It is the creation of a new heart out of nothing. Why? Why would he do that? Why not just change the outside because paul knew full well as he says in romans chapter 7 verse 18 paul knew full well why he says for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for i have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out why it's because our heart is disconnected and is stuck in sin but david goes on lord please don't banish me away from your presence Much like the Lord did with his predecessor, King Saul. Perhaps David is now keenly aware in his moment, in his reign, that he cannot live in holiness without the presence of God. And so he needs the power of the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And he needs God's presence in his life. His final request in verse 12, and this is where we arrive at joy when he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore the joy of your calling. David felt the sting of his sin. He felt the weight. He felt the guilt that was heavy upon him. And now he's turned to find mercy and grace. You see, his sin had affected his eyes verse 3 I know my transgressions my sin is ever before me bathsheba is everywhere His mind in verse 6 behold you delight in truth in the inward being you teach me wisdom in a secret place but his mind was full of other things Verse 8, we see there's some kind of physical issue there. Verses 6 and 8, behold, you delight truth in the inward being. Excuse me. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. His sin has affected every part of him his heart, his spirit, his hands, his lips. Everything about David had changed because of his sin. The joy had departed, his fellowship with God was broken but in repenting and turning back to the Lord the request for his joy of salvation was made the joy of God's salvation and this is how it relates because what David longed for in his prayer create in me a clean heart restore to me the joy of your salvation what David is longing for what David is asking for is paid for in Christ and by Christ at the cross And this this is how it relates because joy, the joy of the Advent season, this joy that scripture talks about, this joy is the supernatural response to grace and the gospel. You only know this joy if you know Jesus, if you've surrendered to the gospel, if you've cried out while your heart is in crisis for the mercy of God. And then you hear the sweet words of Jesus Christ, that he has died for you on the cross, that he has paid the full penalty for your sin, suffering in your place, but he didn't stay dead. You've heard the rejoicing news, the great news, that on the third day he rose from the grave and that he was witnessed by over 500 eyewitnesses after the resurrection. And he ascended back into heaven some days later. Only now we wait for him to come back. This is why I believe the angels on the hillside that evening said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It's good news for David, the adulterer, the murderer. It's good news for Saul, the one who would walk away from God when he had the whole kingdom handed to him. It's good news for Moses, also a murderer. It's good news for Jonah, the one who would run away and flee from God. It's good news for Samson. It's good news for all of them. It's good news for me. It's good news for you. The joy of the Lord's salvation is not based on feelings, my friends, but it's based on objective truth, and that objective truth is the gospel. Only God can qualify the sinner to stand in his presence, and he has done everything necessary for you to be able to stand in his presence. With our guilt, we can only turn to grace, And then we turn to gratitude and rejoicing. There is no awareness of grace and joy without the guilt, though. It is the state that we are in outside of a relationship with Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is Paul's way of saying, you are the man. But the answer to our sin, just like David's, is to appeal to God in repentance, to appeal and cry out to him for his mercy. You are once dead in trespasses and sins. The trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Paul wrote, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children in wrath. Do you know who Paul just described? David. Me. You, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. An awareness of guilt, an appeal to God's grace and mercy, the rejoicing, Godly gratitude. Friends, that is the greatest news of all time. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It is the blood of Christ that erases our sin and our guilt. It is Christ in his perfect life of righteousness that was substituted for you and your iniquity on the cross. And only the Holy Spirit can regenerate the lost heart and the lost soul and make us new creations. David longed for that day. You hear it in his prayer, and it came to fruition. When Christ was born, God in the flesh, he walked perfect, sinless life and died upon the cross and rose again on the third day. Friends, salvation is the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. And in Christ Jesus, David knew it. He was looking for that day to come he was looking to that redeemer so i'm telling you this morning friend you are the man you are the man you are twice dipped in scarlet and crimson and your sin is ever before you but listen you can't make yourself white as snow you can't make yourself without stain of sin only god can do that so what will you do with the news that you are the man I pray this morning as we have our time of invitation and response that you will come and receive the joy of the Lord. Come and receive the joy of the Lord's salvation and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe you've already done that and you say, listen, I prayed that and man, my life is still going down the wrong road. Come and repent and turn back. That's the beauty of God's word. If you confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sin. And will wash away every stain of it. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord.